Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, our guest has a job that usually flies below the radar, but when this trouble, like the trouble we'll discuss today, his job is front and centre, especially for Australia's beef industry. Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer, Dr Mark Shipp. Welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Thank you very much. Dr Shipp, lumpy skin disease, that's uh, today's main topic. Later we'll talk briefly about some other biosecurity issues, but what is LSD, lumpy skin disease? What does it do to beef cattle? Uh, so lumpy skin disease is a pox virus uh, that's transmitted between cattle and buffalo uh, by biting flies uh, and uh mosquitoes, possibly ticks. Uh, the, the pox virus causes large pox lesions on, on the skin, which um, in severe cases can punch holes right through the, the full thickness of the hide. And this causes exudation of, of serum and, and protein loss and obviously great pain and uh, discomfort to the animals. So they can quickly lose condition. Yeah. In a in a dairy situation, that that means they they stop milking uh, and producing. In in a beef situation, it means that animals can get to the point where they are unable to walk and unable to feed themselves. And obviously, in you know a northern Australian context, that would be a very serious outcome. Indeed, it looks appalling. Does it make cattle actually itch? Yes, the the, the, uh, the lesions are very uh, itchy and, and irritated, uh, so they, they will rub uh, against each other, um, and that's another way that the, the virus can transmit uh, from animal to animal. Uh, and obviously they'll, they'll lick and, and try and work at those, those lesions. Uh, but a significant concern for Australia as an exporting nation is the impact on uh, loss of export markets. Of course. Does it make the beef actually inedible or a problem to eat? Not at all. The the beef uh, is still uh, fit for human consumption and there are, from, from the World Organisation for Animal Health, the OIE, uh, there, there's no recommendations around uh, restricting trade in beef. However, individual countries will, will put in place uh, requirements around uh, beef and, and sometimes around other products as well. I think they'd just have a look at the animal, they'd be a bit put off, wouldn't they, once they saw that uh, the condition of the, the skin, which I assume would be worth nothing. That's right, yeah. All, all the value of the hide is lost, and uh, for, for many processes, the value of the hide really make, makes the, the difference on the sale of the animal. Can other species get it, uh, Mark, buffalo, pigs, ovines? Buffalo certainly can, and uh, what, uh, it's very closely related to the sheep and goat pop. Uh, and indeed, sheep and goat pox is sometimes used in the vaccine. And as, as a consequence, we're starting to see some merging and, and recombination between the two viruses so that in some of the, the current uh, outbreaks that uh, are occurring in our region, sheep and goats are also becoming uh, affected. Wow, but we haven't heard much about that. So that's a possibility then? It, it is. Uh, the, the sheep and goat pox uh, is what they call a, a heterogeneous vaccine. So you vaccinate them with one disease to protect them against another. And for many countries, that, that works well because they don't have uh, sheep and goat industries. But for Australia, that wouldn't work. And then uh, because of the, the uh, recombination of, of the virus over time and in new environments, uh, the, the virus itself is, is changing and becoming more adept uh, over time. 
Another issue I read about, I understand LSD actually is a low mortality condition with older cattle, but calves and weaners could be in real trouble, especially in the type of properties that we have in here in Australia, should they get LSD. Yes, and, and that, that's uh, been the experience in Indonesia. I was fortunate to be up there last month, and they were saying that animals that are weak or in poor condition uh, suffer very badly uh, and get to the point that they're not able to feed themselves or not able to walk, uh, whereas animals that are in, in strong and, and forward condition are able to uh, shake it off or indeed show no signs at all. And that's one of the challenges around lumpy skin disease is that not all animals will show the lumps. Indeed, only about half of the animals will, will show the lumps. And uh, as a consequence, you can have animals that are infected and transmitting the disease and, and not, not be obvious to uh, the human eye. It started, I understand, I'll try and go through a brief history. It started in Africa, I understand, about 15 years ago when it was first discovered or found out. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, endemic in Africa for, for many, many years and then uh, over time uh, has spread out of there up into uh, Turkey, the Middle East, and, and then it's come down into, in the last three years, uh, China, India, and then spreading down through Southeast Asia and South Asia. And now it's in Malaysia, Singapore and Indonesia. Yes, so th this year uh, there's been three uh, declarations of disease in Indonesia, Singapore and Pakistan and that, that brings it very close to Australia. I was able to visit uh, Singapore as part of my visit to Indonesia last month and uh, they have only two dairy farms in, in Singapore and one of those was infected, the other not at the time of my visit. Both of them are quite small, only 50 animals each, but uh, I was able to get on the infected farm and, and see the, the uh, animals as they were recovering from, from that outbreak. So, Mark, where's the furthest south that's been found so far? Uh, Indonesia is, is the furthest uh, south, and, and that, that's our concern at the moment. It's on the island of Sumatra in uh, Riau province, but our concern is that it, it won't be contained there. Certainly, it won't be contained to Riau province. Um, and our concern is it will spread further off uh, Sumatra and potentially through the Indonesian archipelago. The, the concern there, obviously, for Australia is that once it gets through to Timor and Papua, uh, that puts it very close to Australia. And we, we know every year that uh, insects are blown into Australia from Indonesia because uh, we, we pick those up through the uh, Blue Tongue uh, monitoring program. And our concern is that... Uh, those, those vectors, those blue tongue vectors, the culicordes, midges, or other uh, biting insects uh, could be blown in uh, from Indonesia or, or from those nearby uh, islands carrying uh, infected uh, insects into Australia. I've, I'm sure you've read of this. There was a certain high-profile person declared it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it gets to Australia. Is it inevitable it will actually come here? Well, we're doing everything we can to uh, prevent that, and that, that's why we've invested so much in the response in Indonesia. But we, we were watching it approach Indonesia with concern, and, and uh, at the time that they declared it, we immediately offered funding to uh, provide vaccine so that they would immediately be able to offer uh, vaccine out, out to the affected premises in order to try and uh, restrict it to Riau province and, and indeed to, to Sumatra. Oh, um, I want to talk about vaccines in a moment, but if if it does come here, would it be more likely to come in the north or in the cooler climates of the south? Uh, it, it's, it's more likely in northern Australia because of the abundance of, of biting insects and the proximity uh, to uh, infected areas. 
we've also got the, the challenges of returning livestock vessels uh, and you know the cyclonic events that that might bring in in uh, biting insects as well. So there are a number of avenues in the north which aren't available in the south, but we certainly shouldn't rule it out in the south. Uh, we we do find exotic mosquitoes in uh, aircraft that uh, fly in from Malaysia, for example. That that's another avenue that we need to be cognizant of. So you're almost saying that it is inevitable it will come here then. Uh, the, the the pressure will uh, will not go away and it will only build over time. Uh, so it. it if, if we don't have it uh, occur in the next five years, or it may be in the in the five years after that. So we, we need to do everything that we can year on year to, to strengthen our uh, defences and uh, our preparedness. And, and you know, vaccines, obviously, are an important part of that. We'll take a quick break. Here's a message from our sponsors, Elenco Animal Health. Don't let your cattle suffer the setbacks caused by buffalo fly. Combat buffalo fly with Corral, Patriot and Silence insecticidal ear tags. Providing up to four months of long-lasting fly control. Alanco has you covered with a range of ear tags to suit your rotation program. Contact Alanco and find out how you can win the buffalo fly battle now. You're back on the grill with Beef Central. Our guest today, Dr Mark Ship. Mark is Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer. We're talking about lumpy skin disease. Now, just one quick question. Is it contagious via the meat? Not not at all, no. Um, it, uh, and, and for that uh, reason, the World Organisation for Animal Health, the OIE, doesn't recommend any uh, restrictions on trade in, in beef. Uh, there, there are restrictions around trade in hides, in live animals, uh, and in some cases on dairy products. Uh, but but not not on meat uh, is the recommendation of the OIE. But a number of our trading partners do have uh, trading restrictions relating to lumpy skin disease, and we expect that if we were to get lumpy skin disease, a number of countries would impose restrictions, uh, given that uh, it would be a significant change to Australia's animal health disease status. Yeah, it's all about it'd be all about perception, wouldn't it? I guess so. Now we have we actually do have vaccines against this, don't we? But it's the it's actually a live virus, so Australia won't be heading down that path and using these live virus vaccines. Is that correct? Uh, so the, the only effective uh, vaccine, uh, live virus vaccines, that there are killed virus vaccines that are available. The, the difficulty with the killed virus vaccine is that it requires six monthly boosters, and that might work in a dairy uh, or an intensive situation, but uh, certainly won't work in northern Australia. The live vaccines are, are very effective. The difficulty is that they're a live virus. So uh, when, when you in, inject an animal with a live virus vaccine, it's not possible to tell the difference between whether it's an infected animal or a vaccinated animal. And indeed, the, the virus strain can be spread itself by biting insects and, and flies. The other challenge with a, a live virus is that, uh, well, not uncommonly, they, they can be contaminated with other viruses. Um, and so we've seen uh, with the use of the live virus uh, vaccine in our region in uh, the past few years, the spread of other diseases such as sheep and goat pox or uh, blue tongue uh, because of the contamination of, of those virus uh, vaccine strains. And the vaccines are, are manufactured in, in countries from which we would as Australia, not normally import vaccines. So from uh, South Africa, Morocco, Egypt, countries that uh, we have concerns about in terms of biosafety and biosecurity. 
so that there are a number of challenges around the live uh, virus uh, vaccine and, and we're hoping that we can find an alternative. But if, in the meanwhile, we will uh, explore the, the use of uh, live virus vaccines. But to, to, to create a vaccine, I assume that you have to get the live virus into Australia in the, in the, with the usual protocols. And is it here and at Geelong yet? No, the, the uh, high security laboratory that we have in Geelong, uh, which has been in operation now for uh, more than 40 years, uh, does not have approval to work with lumpy skin disease virus. Uh, we're uh, hoping to change that so that it does have that approval. Uh, 40 years ago or even 20 years ago, it, it wasn't an issue because the, the disease and the virus were, were so far away from Australia. Now it's right on our doorstep and it's quite critical that we have that capability for a number of reasons. Firstly, uh, so that we're able to diagnose the disease. If, if we suspected lumpy skin disease in Australia, the only way that we would be able to get a definitive diagnosis would be to send samples to the UK for uh, final diagnosis. And that, that puts us in an invidious position to be waiting on advice from a laboratory in the UK as to whether we've got a, a, an exotic disease present in Australia. That's extraordinary in this Thanks. day and age, isn't it? We have to send stuff to the UK to be checked. It's just amazing. So we're hoping that we can build that diagnostic capability uh, in Australia and and deploy that uh, to the state laboratories as well so that they're able to safely uh, diagnose lumpy skin disease if if we suspect it to be present. Secondly, we want to be able to uh, examine uh, the live virus vaccine in Australia to determine whether it's pure and effective. Uh, As I said, we've got concerns about some of the available uh, vaccines as to their purity, and so we'd like to if we're going to use the vaccine to assure ourselves of the purity of the vaccine before we use it. And thirdly, uh, to to look at whether it's possible to develop our own uh, vaccine, perhaps one that uses, for example, uh, mRNA uh, as a platform rather than a live virus vaccine. Is is that the process that was used after the pandemic and the development of various vaccines since the COVID started three years ago? That's right. Uh, so uh, through the uh, COVID outbreak, we were around the world very able, uh, very quickly able to develop uh, safe uh, vaccines using the mRNA platform. And the, the beauty of that is that it doesn't require uh, any uh, uh, virus at all. It, it, it's a protein-based uh, platform. And if we if we had such a platform available to us in Australia, we could use it not only for exotic diseases, but for a range of endemic diseases that are of concern to uh, cattle farmers right across the country. Uh, so it would be quite a powerful platform to, to have if we were to a- able to build that capability here in Australia. That's extraordinary that it's come out, out of bad, something terrible, come something good, that uh, the technology grown out of uh, COVID-19 is going to be used for uh, developing vaccines in this uh, dreadful disease case. In, indeed, and, and uh, you know, prior to that was uh, an area of pure science research which had no immediate uh, commercial application uh, but before the pandemic uh, uh, fell upon us. Now, most vaccines uh, market for animals, uh, cows, dogs, etc., they're usually a two-shot job, but this will almost certainly have to be a one-shot vaccine, though, won't it? Um, and that, that, that's the, the, the uh, beauty of the live vaccine uh, is that it provides such strong immunity in, in because it's a, a weaker form of the virus and it triggers the, the natural immunity of, of the animal. 
but uh, an mRNA or uh, uh, other forms, we'd have to look at how, how what what form of uh, immunity they offer, uh, whether they trigger the uh, the immune system to the same extent as the, the currently available live vaccine. Another quick break from our podcast today with Dr. Mark Shipp. Here's a message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion on how we can add value to your business moving forward. We're back with Dr. Mark Ship. He's Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer. The subject today, lumpy skin disease. So how long would the testing process be and how is that carried out? Uh, so we're, we're, we're not even commenced uh, yet. So we imagine that it'll be something like 12 months to try and develop that platform and, and see whether uh, we're able to uh, identify a vaccine candidate. Um, and then there'll be commercialisation after that. Uh, so it, 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 it is somewhere down the track. Um, and in the meantime, we, we need to do what we can to try and keep the disease out of Australia for as long as possible and work to strengthen the, the biosecurity and the preparedness of our neighbours uh, so that both in, in their interests, um, uh, they've, got, they've got their own cattle industries, uh, and their own livelihoods, but also to protect Australia's biosecurity and, and the interests of our, our cattle industry. So the best case scenario is 12 to 18 months before we've got the vaccine on the ground ready to use. I assume that once you develop it, you would send it to, uh, and, and given that there's no issue with the uh, uh, LSD in Australia, that you would send this to Indonesia first, would you? Uh, what, what we're hoping is that uh, we develop a vaccine bank uh, for our own use and if we don't need it, that we share it with our neighbours. So uh, Indonesia, Timor-Leste, Papua New Guinea are all going to be requiring uh, this vaccine in the near future. Uh, so if, if we're not having to vaccinate ourselves, then they're able to call upon that bank and uh, provide support to our near neighbours would, would be the goal. Uh, vaccines don't have a, a long shelf life so as we'd need to continue to turn over that bank uh, through time and we're having to do that uh, in cooperation with our neighbours. We, we have a vaccine bank for example for foot and mouth disease um, that which is uh, held offshore and, and we regularly turn that over and renew it to ensure that it, it holds the, the latest and, and most relevant strains to our region. Right. Dr. Shipp, some uh, general questions to close. Do we have what I think used to be known as uh, sentinel animals across the north to check on possible infectious diseases arriving in Australia? Do we still have that apparatus set up? Yes, we, we still have uh, sentinel herds across uh, northern Australia for cattle. Uh, so we, we test those regularly for disease and we also have obviously a, a large number of uh, insect uh, traps across the north uh, which are, are largely focused on 
the, the blue tongue uh, uh, incursions and the blue tongue vectors, the culicoides. Uh, but we're, we're looking now to whether they can also be used to look at uh, possible incursions of lumpy skin disease. There's one near Darwin somewhere, I understand. Insects from there would be checked for uh, LSD in the future, if not now? That, that's right. That, that, that's the intent. At the moment, they're, they're checked for blue tongue um, uh, serotypes. Uh, we, we have a, a number of serotypes in Australia of blue tongue, but at, from time to time, New serotypes are blown in uh, from our near neighbours, and we would uh, want to be using the, that um, infrastructure, that those uh, traps, uh, to to now also look for lumpy skin disease. Well, it's a. Uh, I, I guess when you took this job, we're hoping for a quiet sojourn as Australia's chief veterinary officer, but you've certainly got a big job in front of you right now. And thank you for being so illuminating with your information on lumpy skin disease on The Grill with Beef Central. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.